What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Praetors Podcast. As always, my name is Nick, NickNacks96, here for you. And today, we have a pretty simple cut-and-dry day today. Um, after last podcast, we got the full information on Ultimate Masters and all of those cool cards that everybody was seeing with all the new full arts that were being sent out. So I'm just going to give a quick rundown on that. I know there's been a lot of talk about it recently, a lot negative, some positive. Um, I want to preface all the talk about it by saying this. While I do agree with everyone uh, on the main point that the price for a box, I want to make that very clear, a box of Ultimate Masters is too high, as well as the price for a pack of Modern Master, or Ultimate Masters being higher than we would like. I think it is far too early to really take this product by Wizards and just dumpster fire it and in return like throw them under the bus. While I do think that there may come a time where that's fully allowed and we can rage on them all we want, I think it's way too early and I'm going to explain why I think it's way too early. I also want to say I think of at least from the people that I follow, not many people share the same opinion that I have, and it could be because they've been around a lot longer and know a lot more, but I do think a lot of people are looking at this product in the wrong way. And here's what I mean. A box of Ultimate Masters, which Wizards has come out and said is going to be the last Masters product made for a while. They haven't completely said that they won't ever make a Masters set again, uh, but they did say they're going to take a break, as they rightfully should, because we have been drowning in subpar master sets this year, that they're going to explore other ways to get needed reprints like they normally do in the master set, which is going to be cool because that means hopefully for the format like Modern, we can get something along the lines of Conspiracy or Battle Bond, which gave needed reprints and new cards to formats outside of putting them in standard legal sets. Battle Bond was basically Commander Masters, providing them with reprints and tons of new cards. And um, Conspiracy kind of does dual work for Commander and for Legacy and Vintage. Not so much Vintage, but mainly Legacy. And there's been a lot of very important defining cards that have come out of both of those sets for the respected formats. So that will be interesting to see. But back to the matter at hand. A box of Ultimate Masters will cost you, uh, these are in US, and I've heard it's far more expensive in other currencies, but since I live in the United States, that's going to be what I'm going with. $335.76. That's outrageous. I don't care what they put in here. That's pretty high. They would have to fill this box when we know the remaining cards with basically literal gold to make that price make sense. And maybe they will. 
more or less. So, we will see. Because we only know the 40 cards that are the box toppers that are also in the set. That is all we know. And there's over 200 cards. I'm not exactly sure how many. It's either 265 or 295, something like that. Those are the two numbers that keep popping into my head. Um, and at the moment, I don't have the numbers for the box in front of me. And it's $13.99 a pack. The other thing that people are really harping on is the boxes themselves are going to be available at local game stores, which is a good thing, in a way. Um, the other thing that people are really getting mad about is Wizards is also selling, they're called Blister Packs. They are a package of three packs of Ultimate Masters that are going to be sold for $33 at big box stores like Target and Walmart. We've seen this before with other sets, including Master Sets. But what that does is if you were to go to the big box store, you save essentially $3 per pack because your three packs not only cost you $11 instead of $14, which is what you're going to be getting them for at your game store, is $14 a pack if you buy single packs. Most people are estimating that the box topper themselves, at minimum, are going to be adding about $50 to the retail price of the box. And the only way to get the box toppers is by buying the box because it comes sealed inside the box. So you are seeing a lot of people, game stores, websites, selling them for about $50 less than MSRP. So you get boxes for around $280, which is a little bit of a feels better for people. But here's, here's the thing. Um, I do know a lot of people that I play with or that play at the same places I play with that buy boxes. When a new set comes out, they buy a box. That's fine. It's, I mean, I don't have anything against people who do that. What I don't think is that that is the majority of people who are buying magic cards. I don't think the majority of people are out there every time a new set comes out buying a box. And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. So $335 for a box, while it is ridiculous, not everybody is even buying a box of a standard set when it comes out, which is way less than $335. Most people are buying singles. And the whole point of this set for the last master set for a while is to get a lot of needed reprints into the market and into the format, new art, or not, you know, withholding. So I think we really have to wait and see till the full spoilers come out at the end of November on the 19th and the 20th when they start and the full set being revealed on the 21st before we can bury this product in being this was a good thing, this was a bad thing. Um, expensive? No question about it. No one is arguing that this product is not expensive. The main arguments that people have are, I don't care because I don't, you know, that's not how I get my cards. I don't care how much this box of magic cards comes. And people being like, oh, it's going to feel real bad when you buy a box and your box topper is a lava claw reaches, which yes, yes, it will. But it's also going to feel real good when you buy a box if you're the person to do that. And your box topper is Liliana of the Veil. Because 
you're not going to be mad about your $335 anymore when your box topper is Liliana in the veil. You're going to feel awful when it's Lava Claw reaches. But I mean, that's also like, regardless of your opinions on what should be or what should not have been added in the box, which I get, they could have only added Celestial Colonnade out of the lands that they put in there. They could have not done Lava Claw reaches because it's a card that doesn't need to be reprinted, which is a completely fair argument. But looking at their track record of how they put things like this into sets, that's not how they were going to do that. They're either going to put a full cycle or they're going to put the only played card of a cycle in there. Because people look at the cards in the set and they say, hey, you added the World Wake Manlands. Thank you. But the only one we needed reprinted was Celestial Colonnade. And for those people who don't know what cards I'm talking about, in the set World Wake, there was a cycle of cards referred to as Manlands because they are lands that have an activated ability that turn them into a creature. And they're as followed. Celestial Colonnade, which taps your blue-white, and you pay three and a blue and a white, and it's a 4-4 flyer with Vigilance. It is by far and away the best of these Manlands, the most played, and the most expensive. Definitely needed a reprint. There's Creeping Tar Pit, taps for blue and a black, one blue and a black, it becomes a 3-2 blue-black unblockable. Not the most played. Probably could have got away with not being in here, um, but I definitely have seen it in plenty of decks. Lava Claw Reaches, 100% did not need to be reprinted. I'm not arguing that it needed to be, and I agree with everyone saying that they definitely could have gone without this being in here, and it being a box topper is probably going to be one of the worst things you could ever open. It taps for red and a black, so it's already not very popular because um, decks that want a land that taps for red and a black often have abilities have the ability to have some of the other man lands or they just don't want them in their deck at all and it's not a very good man land it's one blue and a black and it becomes a two two that has um you can pay x and the creature gets plus x plus zero until end of turn but the problem is is it just becomes a a two two or however big but it still stays with only two toughness it's really really easy to kill I don't think I've ever been hit with a Lava Claw Reaches in my Magic playing career because if anyone tries, there's very little that does that <laughs> doesn't kill it. There's very little creatures that you would have that even just can't jump in the way of this thing and kill it. Um, it also, you can chump block it forever. It doesn't have trample. It doesn't have any evasion where like Creeping Tar Pit is unblockable. Celestial Colonnade has flying. The best part about Celestial Colonnade is it has vigilance. So it protects itself because you can attack with it and tap it for mana to cast a counterspell on their removal spell or cast a removal spell on their blocker. It's it's a ridiculous land. That one definitely needed to be in there. Raging Ravine, which I think is probably the other most played one of these man lands, is the red and the green one. It's two red and a green, makes it a 3-3. And then whenever it attacks, you get a 1-1 counter. I've seen this uh, fairly amount in Jund. That's really the only deck I've ever seen it in. And I have definitely lost to this card. Um, this one's a good one because it gets really big really fast. 
Um, so on that first attack, if you don't have a removal spell for the trigger, it gets out of a lot of like common removal, like lightning bolt and damage base removals. It's a tricky one to kill. It's not impossible. Once again, it can be blocked for a while. Doesn't have trample or anything. So, you know, that's why it's not the the best. Um, but I, it's definitely far from the worst. And the last one is Stirring Wildwood, uh, which is the green-white one. And it's one, a green and a white. And it becomes a 3-4 with reach. So this one's really good at blocking. And that's about it. Um, I've seen it before as like a one of in collected company decks, just so that way they have a way to block a flyer. Um, it does start as a three, four, so its body's pretty good. And they do have, uh, other lands in their deck, like Gavity Township that puts counters on all their creatures. So you can animate it, put a counter on it. Um, but this one also didn't need to be reprinted. So a lot of people are saying, just give us the Celestial Colonnade reprint and refill these spots which i think is semi of a fair argument um but not something that wizards of the coast would do and i don't i don't really see why people would expect them to do that um sometimes wizards of the coast makes good decisions sometimes they don't that's any company but i think it's pretty obvious how when they print some of these cards that they're going to print the rest of them. You're not going to see one shock reprinted in a set. You're not going to see one fetch land reprinted in a set. You're not going to see one man land reprinted in a set, regardless of how good they are. On the flip side, though, you will see some of these lands that are technically in a cycle only printed as a one of. And the reason is, is because, the, the at least I think, the one land of that cycle is so far and away better, more played, and sometimes the only one known in an entire cycle that reprinting the other ones is actually a terrible idea. While Lava Claw Reaches is a bad card, and Stirring Wildwood is also kind of a bad card, the you're you're gonna see that whole you're gonna see that whole cycle there's no getting around it it's they have to do it there's going to be bad cards in a set they have said before we have to make bad cards we have to put bad cards everything can't be good every card can't be termagoyf sometimes you're gonna have a lava claw it's just the way it's gonna work the other example of this though is when you get a card like urborg tomb of yagma where each land is a swamp in addition to other land types. It's by itself. I'm pretty sure the cycle's not completed, and they might not even have other ones like that, but that's a instance where you see one land being printed. The other one where they do this is Caracas. It's a legendary land, it taps for white, and it has a tap ability, return target legendary creature to its owner's hand. Caracas is part of a cycle of lands, I cannot tell you the name nor the ability of any of the other cards in the cycle. Why? No one has, no one ever plays them. There's not a format where they're played in, or if it is, it's so out of left field that I'm sure when they play that card, everyone they're playing against has to read it. Because 
no one plays any of them but Caracas because Caracas is so good. It's banned in Commander because it's very unfair in a format where everyone's deck revolves around a legendary creature. It's a staple in Legacy where bouncing legendary creatures is really good. And you will see a lot of decks that don't even play white play this specifically to combat Reanimator. And when they reanimate their main legendary creature, which is Gristlebrand, it's some deck's only way to defend against that strategy. Which is why you only see Caracas printed in this set. You don't see any of the other ones. Because it would be a wasted space. While most people think Lava Claw Reaches is also a wasted space, it's the bottom end of this set. It may be, not knowing the whole set, the worst card that we see in here. But it's still a card that has some minor playability and that people are actually aware of. Therefore, Wizards is going to put it in the set with the rest of the cycle. Feel bads or not. However, the main reason why I don't think that we can throw the set under the bus is the 40 cards that we know, for the most part, are ridiculous. Uh, I'm going to run through them. Uh, I'm just going to say their names. I'm not going to say what they do, because if you've been anywhere around the World of Magic within the past week, Everyone has gone over the set, so I'm just doing my part. Also, um, all these cards you can look up pretty easy, and most of them are well-known. So going in alphabetical order, um, we're starting with Ancient Tomb. I, actually, yeah, I changed my mind. I, I will tell you guys what they do. Um, Ancient Tomb, taps for two colorless mana, deals two damage to you. Great card. Balefire Dragon, also one of the feels bads. It's a 5 double red, 6-6 six, six flyer. It When it deals combat damage to a player, it deals that much damage to each creature that player controls. Just a commander card. Bitter Blossom. One in a black, tribal enchantment, fairy. Beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life, create a 1-1 one, one black fairy rogue. This card is awesome. Uh, it was a staple back in its day. Still see some play. Card's great. Cavern of Souls. Needed a reprint hugely important in the modern format and in some other formats as well uh, when it enters the battlefield you choose a creature type you can either tap it for colorless or you can add one mana of any color spend that mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type can't be countered so when it enters you can name something like uh fairies and when you cast a fairy with it as long as you pay to the colorless mana from it for the that creature it can't be countered uh, we already went over Celestial Colonnade and Creeping Tar Pit. Dark Depths is a legendary snow land. It enters the battlefield with 10 ice counters. You pay 3 mana to remove an ice counter, and when all the counters are removed, you make a 2020 black avatar creature with flying and indestructible that is named Merit Lage. Um, no one usually pays all that mana. There's a lot of strategies in the legacy format and the commander format that get around the mana by copying it, just removing all the counters at once. Um, it's also banned in modern because that card is nuts. Uh, Demonic Tutor, definitely need a reprint. It's one in a black sorcery. Search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, shuffle your library. It's a tutor. This card is in 
almost every commander deck where people play black and are willing to play it. Uh, the first of the big Eldrazi's, Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. Say 15 mana, 15, 15. Uh, it also has a lot of things that it does. It cannot be countered. When you cast this spell, you take an extra turn. It has flying, protection from colored spells, and Annihilator 6. So Annihilator is not a mechanic that you see anymore, and rightfully so. What it does is when the creature attacks uh, before you block and before you deal damage, the player it's attacking has to sacrifice permanence equal to the Annihilator number. So it reads, you know, whoever you're attacking sacrifices, in this case, six permanents. Uh, this card was pretty expensive, so reprint is uh, well sought after, and the new border on it looks cool, and the full art version of it looks really sweet. Engineered Explosives, this card desperately needed a reprint. It started climbing very high in Modern. It is a X artifact. It has Sunburst. Uh, so Sunburst is a mechanic where for each color of mana that you pay when you cast this card, it enters with that many counters. So if you cast it for zero, it'll have zero counters. If you pay, say, one red or one blue, it will have one counter, and so on and so on. It then also has two, you sacrifice it, destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on engineered explosives. So when you cast this card, if you pay one mana and then you sacrifice it, it destroys all non-land permanents with converted mana cost of one, and so on and so on, based on the colors. Um, Eternal Witness, this is a staple in multiple formats. Uh, it's one, a green and a green, for a 2-1 human shaman. When it enters the battlefield, you return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Card's really good. Fulminator Mage, one, and then a hybrid black-red, hybrid black-red. So you can pay either of those symbols with either black or red mana cost. It's a 2-2 Elemental Shaman, Sacrifice Fulminator Mage, Destroy Target Non-Basic Land. This is huge in Modern for fighting decks like Tron or decks that have greedy mana bases. Uh, if your deck can either make black mana or red mana or both, you try and put this card in your sideboard. Uh, Gaddock Teague, green and white for a legendary creature, Kithkin Advisor, 2-2. Non-creature spells with converted mana cost, 4 or greater, can't be cast. Non-creature spells with X in their mana cost can't be cast. Uh, this card is a um, a hoser and a hate bear, as it's called. Um, a hate bear because it has some effect that stops people from doing a certain thing. In this case, playing non-creature spells with four or greater mana cost and playing non-creature spells with X. And it's a bear because it's a two-two, which is a uh, joke on the card. Grizzly bear. Uh, this card is important in certain decks and really good in Commander, and was also getting very expensive, uh, so a reprint of this is good. Goryo's Vengeance. This card's weird, but also definitely need a reprint. It's a 1 and a black for an instant arcane. It says return target legendary creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. The creature gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. And then it has an ability, Splice onto Arcane, for two and a black, which basically means that when you cast a Arcane spell, you can pay, in this case for Goryeo's Vengeance, two and a black, and you don't 
um, cast the Goryeo's Vengeance, but the the arcane spell that you cast also gains the effect of Goryeo's Vengeance. Um, it's a mechanic that's not seen a lot anymore, and it has some applications where it actually is good, um, but I've actually never seen anyone splice onto arcane in a literal game of magic. Um, we already went over Caracas. Uh, the Karn Father himself, Big Daddy Karn Liberated. This card, so, so in need of a reprint. Uh, this is a card that people have been asking for a reprint for a long time. It's a 7-mana, colorless, legendary Planeswalker. It starts at 6 starting loyalty. It's plus 4 is target player exiles a card from their hand. It's negative 3 is exile target permanent. And it's negative 14 is you restart the game. And then uh, the simplest terms is any cards that you have exiled with that Karn Liberated that are a permanent, so a land, a creature, an artifact, an enchantment, start the new game on your side of the battlefield. Um, great, great reprint, great to be in here. Kitchen Finks, it's a one hybrid green-white, hybrid green-white creature. I think it's pronounced Oofy. It's O-U-F, or O-U-P-H-E. It's a weird one. It's a 3-2. When it enters the battlefield, you gain two life, and has Persist, which is... When the creature dies, if it had no negative one, negative one counters on it, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a negative one, negative one counter. Card's great in modern, uh, great in commander, is part of a lot of infinite combos, uh, also just a great value card. Um, another one of the legendary Eldrazi's is Kozilek, Butcher of Truth, a 10 mana 12-12. When you cast the spell, you draw four cards. It has Annihilator 4, and I forgot to mention this on Emrakul, but all of these versions of the Legendary Eldrazi, where they have Annihilator, also have the text line of whenever, and then it says the creature's name, so in this case, Kozlik Butcher of Truth, is put into the graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffles their graveyard into their library. So if it gets discarded, if it gets milled, or if uh, your opponent somehow kills it, or makes you sacrifice it. Uh, you just shuffle everything back in, and you try again. Uh, we talked about Lava Claw Reaches. Uh, we have Leovold, Emissary of Trust. This card was expensive, and then it got banned uh, in Commander and dropped a little bit, and then they banned Deathrite Shaman in Legacy, which made this card's playability go down a little bit because it wasn't as easy to cast, uh, but it was still pretty expensive. And this was like a middle-of-the-road expense card. It's a black, a green, and a blue, which is often referred to as Saltai for the colors. It's a legendary creature, Elf Advisor, for a 3-3. It says each opponent cannot draw more than one card each turn. And it says whenever you, meaning the player, you, or a permanent you control becomes the target of an ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. The card is really strong. Um, I don't think you can get the full effect of this card until you actually play against it, and then you stare at all of the cards in your hand that say draw a card, and you realize they no longer work. Um, and then when you kill it, they just go, all right, well, I draw a card, and, you know, it feels bad. Um, here's another card that probably needed a reprint, um, but it's also a card that is seeing a lot of play. It is Life from the Loam. It's one in a green for a sorcery. It says, return up to three target land cards from your graveyard to your hand. 
but the main part of this card is it has Dredge 3. We talked about Dredge in, I believe, two podcasts ago, but I'll remind you. Um, it's The Dredge ability says, if you would draw a card, instead you may put exactly three cards, in this case because it's Dredge 3, uh, from the top of your library into your graveyard. If you do, return this card from your graveyard to your hand, otherwise draw a card. So it's very important in the dredge decks or decks that want to help fill their graveyard. Liliana of the Veil, probably the single card out of all these 40 that needed a reprint the most. I believe it's the most expensive of all 40 of these cards. It's also the one that I think everybody hopes and prays they pull as a box topper because I don't see a world where this is not the most expensive box topper. Um, this card is absurd. Uh, it is one and double black for a legendary planeswalker. It starts at three loyalty. Plus one, each player discards card. Negative two, target player sacrifices a creature. And negative six, you separate all permanents, target player controls into two piles. That player sacrifices all permanents in a pile of their choice it's it's really strong um also i said just a few seconds ago that i think it's going to be the most expensive box topper there is one other card that might be a more expensive box topper for a few different reasons i'll get to that in just a second um this next one is kind of another dud it's lord of extinction it's only played in commander that i've ever seen uh it's three black green for a star star creature elemental and it says lord of extinctions power and toughness are equal to the number of all cards in all graveyards it gets pretty big pretty fast um this is another one where it really didn't need a reprint it's not a very expensive card and i think i've only ever seen it played one time when they did play it though it was like a 60 60 so it's a big boy um maelstrom pulse one black and a green sorcery Destroy target non-land permanent and all other permanents with the same name as that permanent. It's a good removal. Excuse me. It's a good removal spell. It's played in the modern format, not as much as it's used to, uh, due to them printing just better and more efficient removal spells. But it's unique because it does. Uh, it destroys everything with the same name, which a lot of times is really good. Uh, you can get rid of you know like a swarm of goblin tokens with this instead of just one at a time. Uh, so it definitely has its place. It may not have needed a reprint because this card has many printings, also many alternate art printings. So, uh, you know, maybe a hit, maybe a miss. Uh, this is the other card that I think may be the highest as far as box toppers go, and it is Mana Vault. It is a one mana artifact that reads, Mana Vault doesn't untap, during your untap step. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, you may pay four. If you do, untap mana vault. At the beginning of your draw step, if mana vault is tapped, it deals one damage to you. However, it taps for three colorless mana. Uh, in commander, this card is ridiculous on turn one. It lets you do crazy things. Uh, it's good at a lot of different stages in the game. It's also a pretty expensive card. Uh, the reason that I think it may be more expensive or has the potential to be more expensive than Liliana as the box topper specifically is because it is a full art foil 
and I believe one of the first times that it's actually going to be in foil. So the box topper version of this and just the foil version of this from the set are going to be very pricey and very sought after by people who are looking to complete maybe a foiled out commander deck with this being the only piece missing. Um, another card, Machaeus the Unhallowed. It's basically just commander card. It's three and triple black for legendary creature zombie cleric 5-5. Five, five. It has Intimidate, which is it can only be blocked by black creatures, I believe. Uh, not 100% positive, but I think that's what it is. It says whenever a human deals damage to you, destroy it. Uh, the main reason this card sees so much play is other non-human creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and have Undying. And Undying is when a creature with Undying dies. Uh, if it had no plus one, plus one counters on it, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a plus one, plus one counter. This card goes infinite with cards like Triskelion and Walking Ballista and probably a decent amount of other things which is why it's played in Commander. It creates a combo where you can just deal infinite damage to everybody with the other cards and the fact that this gives them Undying. Uh, Noble Hierarch, another card that was in desperate need of a reprint. Uh, this card is huge in any format that it can be played in. Commander, Legacy, Modern. It's This card does almost everything. Um, it's in tons of tier Modern decks. It's in tons of tier Legacy decks. It's one of the best mana dorks made. It is one green for a 01 human druid. It taps for the bant colors, which are green, white, and blue. And it has exalted, which is when a creature you control attacks alone, the creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. This card is huge in the infect deck, in humans, in bant spirits, in tons of legacy decks like maverick, um... I think it's also played in, it's weird because green and mana dorks are creatures that are like in legacy are played in elves and then some off the wall decks. Um, but I, it's in there and when it's in there, it's important. It's played in almost any deck that plays the Bant color scheme in commander. It's, it's really good and it really needed a reprint because it was getting up there in price. It's still going to be pricey, but, you know, every little bit kind of helps when it comes to cards like this. Uh, Platinum Empyreon is a 8-mana, eight 8-8 eight, eight artifact creature golem. It says your life total can't change. Um, I see some play in some fringe strategies where you do a combination of dealing damage to yourself and putting this card onto the battlefield at the same time, but then due to its effect uh, and the way that the cards are all resolving, you actually don't take any damage. Um, it shuts down people trying to attack you since your life total can't change as long as this thing lives. So it's an interesting guy. We talked about Raging Ravine. Um, a card that I think has some of the best new art is Reanimate. Uh, this card has a strategy basically named around uh, the title of it called Reanimator. It's one black for a sorcery. Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control you lose life equal to its compared to mana cost. Um, there's a deck in Legacy named Reanimator. That's what the deck tries to do. Put creatures in Graveyard, reanimate them. Uh, it's a strategy, a very good one. 
in Commander as well. A lot of decks built around it. Uh, very cool art. Good card. Uh, Sagarda Host of Herons, another card that people are like, we really didn't need this reprinted. And yeah, they probably didn't. Um, it's two, a green, and two white. For a legendary creature, Angel, 5-5. Five, five. It has flying and hexproof, and it says spells and abilities your opponent control can't cause you to sacrifice permanence. So this card specifically is really good against another card we talked about, Liliana of the Veil, because it basically shuts down um, Liliana's negative ability, which makes people sacrifice creatures, and Liliana's ultimate, which makes people sacrifice permanence. They just can't. Um, so yeah, it's kind of funny. There's a lot of cards in the set so far, even of just these 40, and I suspect more, that work very well either against each other or in combination with one another. Uh, we'll get to some later, but Gorio's Vengeance works good with creatures in the graveyard, uh, including even the Eldrazi's, because you can cast the Gorio's Vengeance while the shuffle trigger is on the stack and actually get them. Um... Things like Sigarda versus the Liliana. Uh, I assume there will be more later on. Uh, another card that could use a reprint and is one of those cards that seems to always need a reprint even after they've reprinted it is Snapcaster Mage. This one is printed with the newest art, by the way, um, which was a recent printing. It's one in a blue, is a human wizard, 2-1, with flash so you can cast this card at instant speed and it says when it enters the battlefield you target a instant or sorcery card in your graveyard that card gains flash back until end of turn so it allows you to cast it from the graveyard and then afterwards it's exile uh arguably the best blue creature in magic ever printed and some would consider the best creature in magic ever printed Maybe we'll do that for another episode. I know people have done that before. What's the best creature in Magic? Or what's the best creature by colors? Uh, but this card is super good. And can always use a reprint. Um, another card that they reprinted. This is kind of the... When they do a Modern Master set, this card is usually always in it. Uh, it's Tarmogoyf. Although this time, brand new, really crazy, really different art. It's one in a green for a creature, Lurgoif. It is a star, one plus star. Little weird to hear. Makes more sense if you actually look at it. Uh, it says, Tarmogoyf's power is equal to the number of card types among cards in all graveyards, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. So for example, if you cast a Tarmogoyf, and between you and your opponent, there is a land and a creature in the graveyard, your Tarmogoyf is a 2-3 because there's the land type and the creature type in the graveyard. And so that would equal Tarmogoyf's power being a 2, and Tarmogoyf's toughness is always one more than that. So uh, this thing can get pretty big. It's a staple in modern um, and is always going to hold a decent price total. Here's another card that was, I think, barely over a dollar. Uh, it sees some play in Modern, some slight play in Legacy, and a decent amount of play in Commander, but was not expensive. It's uh, Tassigur the Golden Fang. It's five and a black 
for a 4-5. It's a legendary creature, Human Shaman. It has Delve, so when you cast it, you can exile cards from your graveyard to pay for the colorless, or the uh, generic mana cost in here, so the 5. So you can cast this for 1 black mana if you take 5 cards out of your graveyard. Uh, it has an ability for 2 and then Hybrid Green-Blue, Hybrid Green-Blue. You put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, then return a non-land card of an opponent's choice from your graveyard to your hand. So its own ability works well with the delve ability because you can delve away cards that you wouldn't want your opponent to give you back, extra lands, cards that aren't good anymore. Then you can activate the ability and hope that of the smaller card pool remaining in your graveyard gives you a higher chance to get something good back. Granted, you do mill yourself two from the top, but you are also getting rid of usually five cards, so the odds should be in your favor. Um, here's a card that is played in Commander and was ridiculously expensive, uh, so most people who have seen it are very happy with the reprint. It's Temporal Manipulation. It's three and blue-blue for a sorcery, just as take an extra turn after this one. Extra turn spells are really, really powerful. Uh, they are really busted. Uh, they're really good if you pair them with Planeswalkers, and there's archetypes built around them in Commander. Um, here's another card that I was like I was talking about that has synergies with cards um, in these forty, and most likely will have more synergy with cards in the set. It's through the breach. This card was also getting up there in price. Very expensive card. Uh, so this reprinting helps. It also has really sweet art that is imitating life. The art on the card is Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. So a card that I mentioned a little bit ago. Being summoned by Nahiri the Harbinger. Um, real quick, the only thing about the picture you need to know is Nahiri the Harbinger is a planeswalker. It has a negative 8 ability that lets you search for a creature from your deck, put it onto the battlefield, and it gains haste, and you sacrifice it at the end of the turn. So there is a deck built around Nahiri. You plus Nahiri, you ultimate it, you get Emrakul. So the card is depicting that. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a 4 and a red for an instant arcane. So it's another arcane card. It says you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield, that creature gains haste, sacrifice that creature at the beginning of the next end step, and just like Gorio's Vengeance, it has a splice onto Arcane. In this case, the splice onto Arcane cost is two red red. Uh, so it does a similar thing to Gorio's Vengeance, but they both have their own intricacies. This one from the hand can be any creature, sacrifice at the end step. Gorio's Vengeance from the graveyard has to be legendary, exile it. So similar idea, a little bit different. The last of the old Eldrazi Titans is Ulamog, the Infinite Gyre. It is a 11 mana, 10-10. When you cast this spell, destroy target permanent. It's indestructible. It has Annihilator 4. And it has that good old Eldrazi text. When it's put into the graveyard from anywhere, shuffle the graveyard into the library. Another card that I mentioned earlier, Urborg Tomb of Yawgmaw, so we won't go over it again. But real quick, makes everything swamps. It's a good card. Played in Commander. A uh, little fringe play in Modern. And here's a card that kind of resurfaced. 
um, in the modern format. The last one of the 40 cards we know so far, which is Vengevine. It's two green green for a elemental. It's a 4-3 with haste, and it says when you cast a spell, if it's the second creature spell you've cast this turn, you may return Vengevine from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it goes in graveyard decks. Um, the set is releasing December, I believe, the 7th. I know it comes out on the same day that uh, Smash Ultimate is supposed to release for the Switch. Or, yes, December 7th. So that's pretty much it on Ultimate Masters, as far as we know so far. So hopefully, if you delve a little bit deeper into these cards or you know some of the prices or things on these cards, you'll see why I say that we can't... I don't think it's fair to throw this product under the bus so early. I think there's definitely still the possibility to do it if they try and fill the rest of the set with things that aren't too great, and they go, but look at these 40 cards, and everyone else goes, look at these 200-plus garbage cards that you put in there. Not to say that every card in here isn't going to be garbage. Like I said before, they do have to, you know, they have to fill up the slots. Not everything's going to be great. A um, little bit of a longer podcast today since we delved deep into that product. But good news, there was really only one major tournament over the weekend. So I can talk about that for a little bit. It was Grand Prix Atlanta. I was lucky enough. I got to watch a decent amount of this one, including the finals, which was one by, and I apologize, uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name right, it is uh, Payan Zhang, I believe, once again, I'm sorry, uh, he was playing a very interesting version of Bant Spirits, and the reason that his version is pretty interesting is in his main deck, he is playing three of Reflector Mage, so a card that is not a spirit and not a card that you normally see in the main deck. He's only playing in the entire 75 two Path to Exiles. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth between how many Path to Exiles are correct in the build. And that was the main thing that was different. He also has two Knight of Autumn in the sideboard, which is mainly in there um, for your burn matchup and to destroy artifacts or enchantments um that one's not too weird when you go to the sideboard for spirits because of the colors they're in and that the deck runs either a mix or one of collected companies and aether vials which lend themselves very very well to creature strategies you don't have to play as on a uh, tribe as on theme as everything being spirits you can afford to play good creatures that aren't spirits. So the Knight of Bottom's not super weird. The main thing people were looking at was Reflector Mage, which in some of the matches I watched really did work for him in the main deck. Um, yeah, the top eight was pretty diverse. Um, second place was Ironworks Combo, uh, and as well as sixth place being Ironworks Combo. That is the only repeat within the top eight. That's a combo deck that um, most people aren't happy with because it fits right on the edge of is this technically allowed in the game of Magic? And some people say it shouldn't be. 
Some people say, most of the time, it's the people who play it say, yeah. Um, but it's a combo deck. It's not great to play against because their turns can take really long, and sometimes they do a whole bunch of stuff on their turn and don't win the game. Um, and it can get kind of boring to watch on coverage. So most people want it banned. I don't have a good matchup against it in the deck I play, but I don't think that's a reason for me to say, hey, it should be banned. Um, if they banned it for similar reasons that they banned other cards in the past, like Sensei's Divining Top, where it gives, it just makes tournaments go long and is a unpleasant viewing experience, I can see it. Luckily, most of the people they've ever put on camera with this deck are people who know how to play the deck very, very well, like Matt Nass. He's a person where if they put Matt Nass playing Ironworks combo on camera, most people are okay with it because he's super, super knowledgeable about the deck and knows every line possible and does things that even the commentators would never see. And he shocks everybody. Um, so maybe that's why they've let it go around. Maybe if he stops playing the deck, then they'll ban it, but maybe not. There's Hardened Scales, was in third place. Kind of the new version of Affinity. Uh, plays a bunch of artifact creatures, puts a bunch of counters on them, wins the game with big old dudes. Um, it's cool deck. Um, but not a ton to say about it. Infect by Kazu, aka Flame Tongue Kazu. I love his Twitter handle. Uh, Nigiri. Uh, Infect, you guys have heard me talk about it before. Love that deck. Watched Kazu play. It was really sweet. Um, I, I was kind of rooting for him to win. Um, like I said, I just love his Twitter handle. It's so clever. It's so good that like his name works out well with that. If you guys don't know, there's a card in Magic called Flame Tongue Kavu. So he's Flame Tongue Kazu on Twitter. It's funny. I like it. You know, whatever. Um, Martin Yuza was on Hollow One, a deck that almost no one expected because everyone expected to see dredge if they were playing a graveyard deck and martin yuza said he didn't have a lot of time to practice for this and he thought that since everybody was expecting dredge he was going to play a graveyard deck that did better when people had graveyard hate which is what hollow one does because unlike dredge if you just hard cast hollow one's threats your deck still functions pretty well in dredge you don't really get a chance to hard cast your threats because you really want them to come out of the graveyard and sometimes you can't even hard cast your threats so um another ironworks combo like i said sixth place another deck that no that one was piloted by uh once again i apologize for the names joa choka and i forgot to mention that the second place deck ironworks combo was pitor glogalski and the third place hardened skills deck was Christopher Larson. Um, seventh place, Takumi Utsomiya, I believe that's how it is said. Once again, I'm sorry. I uh, was on Bridgevime. That's a hyper graveyard combo deck. Does some really wacky stuff with a very weird card called Bridge from Below. Um, a card that most people are perplexed why it has a casting cost, because it actually does nothing if it's on the battlefield. It only works when it's in your graveyard. And then my my love my muse good old tron by yoshiko ikawa and there's one thing i want to point out about yoshika's tron deck 
that I thought was pretty clever and pretty interesting because I haven't actually seen anyone do this yet. So his deck is a fairly stock mono green Tron deck. Um, his sideboard is a little weird. He, not weird, different. He's only running one Thought Not Seer in the side, and he actually has two Carnage Tyrants. But the one thing that he did that I found kind of clever and kind of interesting is in his main deck, he's running one Llanowar Waste in his land base. The land base for a mono green Tron deck is pretty stock. 12 of your lands are encompassed by the four copies of each of your Tron land. Usually one Ghost Quarter. Uh, some people play a Field of Ruin, but there's usually one land that destroys a land. Uh, it's normally five forest and a sanctum of Ugin, which uh, when you cast a colorless creature, you can basically tutor for another one. Some people will go four forest, two sanctum of Ugins. However, what Yoshiko did is he played one landmore waste, which is a land that either taps for a colorless or you deal one damage to yourself. And in this case, a landmore waste, you can either get a black or a green. There's a land that does it for a bunch of the other color cycles. And the reason he's playing this land is in his sideboard, he also has one swamp to side in for the matchups where he needs to bring in all three of his Thought Seizes. So Thought Seize is a one black mana sorcery. This is target player reveals his or her hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. You lose two life. So the reason this is interesting is because most people, when they play Tron so far, um, how it's shaken out, will play pretty much just the stock mono green list. And the reason is, is there's a lot of non-basic land hate directed at this deck. Field of Ruin, Ghost Quarter, Fulminator Mage, the newly printed Assassin's Trophy, things like that. However, discounting Fulminator Mage, Assassin's Trophy, Field of Ruin, and Ghost Quarter all allow you to get a basic land out of your deck. So by playing only one color, in this case mono green, you usually will have, uh, every time you're hit by one of those, you're able to at least get a land. So it puts you down less mana. They're always going after your Tron lands, but you can still kind of play the game. So instead of going full green black and having fatal pushes and collector brutalities and diluting his mana base by playing things like Blooming Marsh, or more Llanowar Waste and less Forest, he said, what's the one black card I need? Thoughtseize. I need it for very specific matchups, matchups where I need turn one discard to disrupt combos or get something out of their hand that's going to make me not able to play the game. Grab a Stony Silence, grab a Blood Moon, something that really hoses the Tron deck. But he was very aware of the non-basic land hate that may be present in the tournament. Uh, I'm not sure how much he faced, so he can sideboard in one swamp, so that way if he gets hit by non-basic land hate, uh, he can tutor for a swamp and maybe play a thought seize after that hate. It also gives him a second black source that he can hope to have on turn one between the swamp and the land waste to cast his thought seizes. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. I've taken a similar approach in my deck, um, because I'm currently doing a green-white build of Tron. Uh, I have more white cards in the sideboard, um, because I think they lend themselves better to some slots of the green cards, and I'm running one Brushland, 
which is the green-white version of Land of War Waste that we just talked about. So it's the last thing I want to say on GP Atlanta, uh, and that was pretty cool. Um, this weekend is the Pro Tour. It is Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica. Everybody should check that out. It's gonna be hype, I hope. Um, we haven't really seen a major standard tournament, and there has yet to be a Pro Tour since Guilds has released, since they're doing them later now. And we're all kind of sitting here hoping to see what spice the pros are going to bring. What is the deck or decks that everybody has been hiding, that they've been dropping when they're 4-0 in a moto league so that way their deck won't get reported, that they're concealing in their testing houses that no one knows about? What is the deck or decks? What's going to show up that no one knew about? What's going to take the tournament by storm? Or is it a deck that we know that we are now just going to see, here's how you're supposed to build it, and it beats everybody? Is it Golgari? Is it is it? Get it? Is it is it? What form is it? Um, is there another control deck? Is it a Monoway aggro? We don't know. We're going to find out this weekend. And like always, uh, if you want to predict to me what you think the best deck might be, Maybe you want to talk a little bit more about Ultimate Masters. Who knows? But I know that if you want to, you can find this podcast at Predator's Podcast either on Anchor, on SoundCloud, and apparently also uh, on iTunes. I believe I'm now on iTunes. Uh, I definitely know I'm on SoundCloud and Anchor, so come there first. Check me out. It means a lot. Show your friends. Show your moms. Show your grandmas. Show your dog. Dogs love me. Um, I know plenty of people who listen to my podcast and they don't know what I'm talking about. They just like the sound of my voice. Uh, also, you can find the podcast itself, Praetors Podcast, on Twitter at Praetors P. Or you can find me personally on Twitter, Nick at NickNax96 N I C N A X. Nine six would love to hear from you guys. It means a ton that you listen, and it would mean a lot more, uh, or just as much, if you guys hit me up on the social medias. I'm always down to interact with you guys. Please feel free to tell me why I'm wrong about Ultimate Masters, why the price is ridiculous, and why the set's going to suck. Uh, tell me what you expect from the Pro Tour. Or tell me that you agree with me. That'd be cool too. But as always, I will see you guys next week. And thanks for stopping by.